Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, everybody. It's Ben Jarofsky here. It's time. Another bonus. A bonus feature as I'm talking. It is whatever day it is. I don't even know what day it is. Thursday, I guess. And we're going to hear this on Monday. And our guest is... Who's our guest? Your guest is Delmarie Cobb owner of the Publicity Works and fighter against racism, sexism, and as I get older, ageism. Wow, uh, I'm with that, it's particularly with that ageism thing, all right? We can use some good fighters against ageism. Not to accentuate the theme of ageism, but I've been uh, interviewing Delmarie Cobb for many, many years <laughs> in the city of Chicago, and she's always uh, uh, been very cooperative, very helpful, comes down wherever I am uh, located, whatever microphone I'm behind, uh, she comes onto the show. So I, I pre- appreciate you very much, Delmarie, and I think you know that. Um, all right, let's get down to business. It's been a while since you've been here, since you were here. Lori Lightfoot has been sworn in. I actually think I saw you uh, on, at the inauguration. Oh, yes, you were I was walking, there. passing mm-hmm. uh, through. So um, everybody knows that you were not, you did not endorse Lori Lightfoot or work for her in this campaign. But what are your general thoughts uh, about the first month or so of Lori Lightfoot's tenure as mayor? Well, I think she's certainly looking to find her land legs, and um, that's what we're seeing, is that she's trying to define herself and what, I guess, progressive means to her, um, because she ran as a progressive, and we will see what that ultimately means. Uh, One of the things that she ran on was certainly um, cleaning up City Hall, and so she's making that a theme of her Uh, administration in the first so many days. I mean, we haven't even had a month since she was uh, uh, sworn in. But uh, certainly um, the poster boy for corruption is Alderman Ed Burke at this point. And uh, she's making sure that he becomes the uh, whipping boy. Yeah. And uh, he has been very cooperative uh, (laughs) because he has done one stupid thing after another to help her. And and I don't know if it's part of the grander scheme of things, Delmarie Cobb, but uh, it sure has worked out that way. Uh, You mentioned she says that she's a progressive. How do you define progressive? This is I I used to call progressives liberals and I grew up calling people who are left of center liberals. And that term has faded. Uh, Nobody wants to be called called a liberal anymore, so that just encouraged me to call people liberal, but everybody wants to be called a progressive. In your mind, what's a progressive? Well, I am a proud liberal, and I consider myself a progressive in that I support issues that are progressive, meaning that progress for all, that lift people up, that do not adversely affect people. And so, for instance, a progressive issue versus a regressive issue. South Suburban Airport, which is an issue I've been fighting for since 1995, Mm -hmm. is a progressive issue versus casinos, which is a regressive issue because it hurts people. The South Suburban Airport helps people Mm -hmm. at every skill level. For people not to understand that 
to me, if you don't have that barometer, then you're not a progressive. Yeah. All right. Let's just take a moment. You raised casinos. Now, I uh, try to be as open-minded and tolerant I am about vices. And I understand that people have vices and you can't, in my humble opinion, uh, outlaw the, the impulse people have to like gamble, drink, uh, smoke reefer, uh, whatever. Okay. And so I'm more of a libertarian. I think they all should be legalized and we, sh- <laughs> and we should tax them, but it kind of irritates me. I got to tell you this, uh, Del, Del Marie, that, um, there's so much agonizing over legalizing marijuana and yet we're just so free to expand gambling. I gambling is so destructive to so many people who can least afford it. It's the most regressive tax that I can think of. And this is me on my high horse here. And yet, Delmarie, I don't think we discussed it for like uh, when we when I say we though the state reps and the governor, et cetera, when they expanded gambling, they're gonna have a casino in, in Chicago right now. I don't believe there was anything related resembling meaningful discussion at all about it. Just Boom, well, all of a sudden the, we have gambling. It's the path of least resistance. And most of the burdens on the black community are policies that are the path of least resistance. And so it's easy to say we want a casino and it's going to generate all this money and it's going to keep people from going to Indiana, to Hammond. And I say, okay, look at Hammond. And is Hammond a bustling town that we really are envious of? I mean, what is happening over in Hammond that we need to be upset about? Other than, yes, people are going there to gamble. But do you know that in our own community, 60628, and I always use that as uh, the example, which is Roseland, $20 million a year is spent on the lottery in 60628, that zip code alone. So imagine if that community had 20 million a year going in it instead of coming out of it you don't walk down a block in roseland where there is not one or two boarded up houses now you're going to talk about a casino next door so you can have more boarded up houses so you don't even make it to the house before you lose your paycheck Mm -hmm. and and because the people who are going to gamble are the people who are looking for the big payday they're the ones who are the dreamers. They're the ones who think, oh, if, th- if only this time is my shot. And so nobody says, you're talking about, well, we were going to make it into an entertainment center. Nobody says, oh, honey, it's a... Uh, 5.30, we need to stop so we can go to the theater now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen. No, nobody does that. Mm-hmm. Pe- the whole idea of a casino is designed to addict you. Everything about it, the bells, the whistles, the lights, all of that is designed to addict you. And that's what it does. And then the other thing you look at in recent time, I worked on a project called Don't Gamble with Chicago. And that campaign was to keep... Um, video gaming from expanding in Chicago. As you know, uh, Governor uh, Quinn passed it so that he could get money for the roads. Mm -hmm. And so you look at the communities that say that opted out, all of the communities that made 75, where the median income was 75,000 and above opted out. All of the communities where the median income was 50,000 and below Mm -hmm. opted in. Look at the South suburbs, look at how it has grown, uh, video gaming has grown exponentially in the South suburbs. Now why, when you get to that uh, opting in and opting out, uh, the, the, the higher income suburbs opted out, the lower income suburbs opted in, what do you think was going on there? Well, those higher income knows what comes with that. 
They know that with that comes people losing money. They know with that comes crime. They know that it means other resources that they're going to have to spend to regulate it in terms of their communities and and make sure that their communities remain safe. And so they rather not have the headache. And they don't need it. Whereas the poor communities are thinking, oh, great, this is a, oh, this is a windfall. But it's a windfall on the backs of the people who can least afford it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that exactly is my point. Now, but, but are you, do you go so far that you think we should abolish legalized gambling, that uh, it should not be legal at all? Hey, I, I told you before, I love the horses. I go to racetracks. I love the racetrack. I think everything should be done in moderation. Uh And I go to Las Vegas, I never gamble. I go to Las Vegas to see the shows. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody says that. No, I do. Wait, time out. When you go to the track, I love the track too. When you go to the track, do you give yourself an allowance that you're not allowed to exceed? Or uh, do you... Oh, no, I go. I always go with an allowance. It's like, this is all I'm going to spend yeah, today. Yeah, okay, I'm that way, too. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's I'm walking yep, away. Right, hell well. Uh, that's it. Make sure I have the money to get home. <laughs> right. All right? Because you don't want to get there and go, hey, please pass that. Uh, I'm with you. I Again, I'm a... a uh, a libertarian in these uh, on these matters and uh, when it comes to vices, but it seems as though our, our government has more and more uh, uh, come down to ba- financing itself by uh, taxing vices. And it's interesting, this political fight that went down, you and I talked about it on my old radio show, uh, the soda pop tax, there was a revolt against the soda pop tax uh, and uh, it, uh, largely uh, the, on the notion that it was regressive. I think the gambling is far more regressive than the soda pop tax. Exactly. No revolt, no nothing. I know. And that just shows you that people really don't understand issues because they don't see that as directly affecting them because it's big picture. Whereas, you know, I go to the grocery store, I drink pop, it's going to affect me, I got to pay more. Um you know, they don't see that there are going to be effects down the line that are going to be domino effects on the black community as a result of gambling being expanded. All right. Now, you also you talked about progressive issues uh, and what you consider progressive issues. And then you just mentioned the black community. Uh, this is a conversation you and I have had for many, many years. The notion that all uh, not all, quote unquote, I got air quotes going here, progressive <laughs> issues are beneficial to the black community, if you follow what I'm saying, uh, that there's some differences. Uh, and uh, so the one that uh, we've been talking about uh, in terms of the most local one, it would be the the, the concept of aldermanic uh, prerogative, aldermanic privilege. Uh, talk about that, Delmarie. Try to, your, your, your general thoughts. This is when Lori Lightfoot came into office, very popular issue in in white Chicago, the notion that you're going to take the decision-making authority for zoning and local matters out of the hands of the local aldermen and put it in the hands of city hall, of, of mayoral appointees. And somehow or other, this is reform. Very popular uh, in uh, the white wards of Chicago. How do you think it plays in your area? You know, if you are from a community that has a lot of amenities already, you know, maybe that's the thing to do. But when you're in a ward that there are very little amenities, uh, and then you're going to have somebody on high 
making decisions about what should come and not come into your ward, you're taking the power from the aldermen who know the who the aldermen who know their wards best. And you're saying, I'll let you recommend, but you won't dictate. And so who's gonna then dictate? City Hall is gonna dictate? And we don't know how does that alleviate corruption because we don't know who you're being who's your contributors so the 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 you cannot eliminate the corruption you do not know what person has larceny in their hearts that's where the corruption is the corruption is not the policy the corruption is the person Hmm. and so it's it's very likely that a person uh who is on some unknown bureaucrat in city hall could be every bit as corrupt as the alderman who is well known. And we certainly have seen that. Yes, we have. (laughs) Uh, All right, now, corruption uh, in City Hall. Why is Chicago so freaking corrupt? I'm thinking about this lately. I read the indictment against Burke. Very proud of the fact that I read that. Uh, it's actually a fascinating document. I urge you to read it if you haven't I, read it. No, I haven't read it, but I, it's on my list. It's on your list. It's it's a quick read. I, I've I've been going around saying it's a lot it's a lot uh, more fun to read than the Mueller report. Okay, <laughs> uh, which is uh, interesting document in itself. But um, in 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 the uh, Burke uh, indictment, they talk about how Ed Burke and Danny Solis were plotting to shake down this developer who uh, had his paw out, as so many developers do, looking for TIF money. And they were essentially saying, if you want that TIF money, you're going to have to hire Ed Burke as your property tax lawyer. They uh, were making their plotting and wheeling and dealing. They They let the developer know, essentially, that this is what they wanted. Uh, It came down to a vote. Uh, and the city council voted to give the developer the money. And Burke and Solis felt so confident, they instead of recusing themselves, they voted for the deal, even though they had been plotting uh, to force the developer to hire Burke. And a, and a subsidiary of the developer had hired Burke's Burke. Delmarie, what is it about people in the city of Chicago that they think they could just get away with this stuff well first of all in the case of burke he was given too much power and he was given too much power over the years and every mayor looked the other way until he amassed all this power and he was you know larger than life in that the mayors didn't think that they could get rid of him and so you never put that much power in the hands of one person that's the first thing the second thing is You have a system, the TIF system, which is corrupt in and of itself, the way it's been administered. Nobody has said anything about it. We we talk about it, but nobody has been adamant about changing it. And we and the very thing it's created to do, which is incentivize developers to go to blighted communities, that is not what it's being used for. And it's being used for everything else but that. Mm-hmm. And and as we said, it was daily slush fund, and then it became Emmanuel slush fund. And so those are the policies that create the corruption, the environment where people say, oh, well, there's an environment that already exists. We know how it works. We're insiders. Let's take advantage of it. Do you think this is going to change under Lori Lightfoot? 
you know, she's a prosecutor, and I think she thinks that because she's a prosecutor, it gives her a special sense of where corruption is coming from and how it's rooted and all of those things. And so I think that she's going to be laser beam focused on making that her signature Uh, Rooting out corruption is going to be her signature in terms of mayor. But the problem is, is that there are so many issues in this city that need attention. That, yes, that is one, but that's one of many. And I don't know that I would spend all my capital up just trying to make that my signature issue. What would your signature issue be? My signature issue would be trying to address crime and creating jobs. If you create jobs, you will get rid of the crime. Now, she's saying the right things about the disinvestment in the South and West Sides. She says that. But then you ask her about the South Suburban Airport, and she says, well, as long as it doesn't hurt our existing institutions, such as Midway Airport. Well, the moment I hear that, I know you don't know anything about the issue. Because if you knew anything about the issue, that would be the last thing that came out of your mouth. Because why would the FAA, whose job it is to protect airports, mm-hmm. approve something that's going to hurt an airport mm-hmm. that's already in existence? All right, now uh, let's take a, a detour to this issue. I've been uh, reading about it I, in the 90s. I remember writing about the South Suburban Airport, uh, Jesse Jackson. Uh, the congressman, not the father, the uh, the Reverend Jackson, Jesse Jackson Jr. made champion this issue. Fortunately, his career stumbled, to put it mildly. And uh, so I developed the issue for Jesse Jr. So I know the issue intimately. All right. So why um, did not did not mean to give Jesse Jackson Jr. all the credit <laughs> for? It. I just remember him. No, no, no. I, we it. needed him. Yeah. And that's he, sort of why it fell off the radar. When he got in trouble, because exactly. nobody else has picked up the exactly. ball. All right. So what are the forces? Uh, it, okay. Just, let's help people out. So some of our listeners may be young. They may not uh, know this. This is an airport that would go about how far south of the city's borders? So we're talking about an airport that is uh, in University Park. So it's closer to University Park. So let me just give you a little bit of history. So you hear Piatone. Mm-hmm. And every time you hear Piatone, and I did the air <laughs> quotes too. Yeah. So you hear Piatone, and I get, I get my, I mean, I get crazy every time somebody says Piatone. And the reason I get crazy is because this is part of the propaganda campaign that was waged by uh, Mayor um, Richard Daly and Richard Baby M. Daly, Richard, M. Richard M. Daly, and the re- and so all the South Suburban mayors, for the most part supported the South Suburban Airport, except the mayor of Piatone. So Mayor Daly finds the mayor of Piatone to align with, and then starts calling it the Piatone Airport. Mm -hmm. And so for most people who live in Chicago, like me, I'm a true Chicagoan, until I discovered this issue, I didn't know anything about the South Suburbs. So you hear Piatone, you go, oh, that's on the moon. I ain't going to the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> who wants to go out to the uh, moon? Who wants to go to the moon? <laughs> right, somebody a, went there once. Right, to take an airplane, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, so he, that was the propaganda, and everybody bought into it. And even today, first thing somebody says, I say South Suburban Airport, and somebody says Piatone. I'm like, 
what did I say? Yeah. <laughs> you know. So that's the first thing. And the other side, the opposition has done a great job of propaganda, much more so than these the side that it supports it. So that's why when you hear these catchphrases like, well, as long as it doesn't hurt O'Hare and Midway, or what about Gary, or the airlines won't come, or so far, or I mean, I can name them all, yeah. and I can address them all. I mean, there's not a thing you can throw out to me that I can't address. Um, and so that's when we got a new governor, and we were going to get a new mayor, uh, because Rob Emanuel had announced that he wasn't going to run for re-election. I said, the timing is now. We need to bring this back up. We need to resurrect this. And this is the time. And so since October of last year, I've been on my own personal campaign to, to resurrect it and make it happen. And I've got a end date in my mind uh, for when it should happen, where 90% of the land is acquired, 90% of the FAA approvals are already complete. And so for me, there's no reason why this shouldn't happen. I mean, 90% of the land was acquired by the state. Yes. So the state owns the land mm -hmm. at the moment. Yes. So if the state wants to, if it gets all this permission, they can use that land for the airport. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And 90% uh, of the FAA approvals are complete. And because the reason I'm so passionate about this issue, as I say all the time to my South Suburban friends, I may never take that, go out and catch a plane out of that airport. But that's not the point. The point is that I'm looking at the South Side die on the vine. And I don't hear anybody talking about something transformational enough to address and stem the tide of the violence and the people exiting on the South Side. Mm. And beauty shops and beauty supply stores and cell phone stores aren't going to do it. So we have to think big. And if we can think big when it comes to the North Side, make no little plans, mm. why can't we think equally as big when it comes to the South and West yeah. Sides? The irony is that the big pl make big plans for the north side, many north siders oppose. This is so bizarre Chicago is. Uh, the, the big Lincoln Yards deal that I think you were alluding right. to uh, is, is generally opposed by north siders. Uh, almost all the aldermen who ran uh, on their, in fact, except for Joe Moore, all the aldermen who lived on the north side had to, um, Patrick Cotter, I have to put him on there, uh, voted against it because that's how unpopular it was right. with their constituents. Uh, and then, of course, after the election, when they had the ultimate vote, uh, some of them betrayed themselves and you know, flip-flopped back. But the point is, it's very unpopular. And yet, the South Suburban Airport... Now, how would the South Suburban Airport uh, generate jobs for South Side of Chicago? Because right now, South Side residents have the longest commute of any people in the country, because there are no jobs on the South Side. So they have to go north for every job. And so by putting jobs where the people are, you will have people going there to get a job. Plus, you already have the communities. The infrastructure is already in place. You have metro lines. The, wherever there's a community with a metro line, that will immediately provide an opportunity to the South Suburban Airport. So imagine for a minute. We have the red line. We're talking about expanding it, extending it to 130th Street. Yeah. Uh, what's there? What's at 130th Street? So you, you're extending it to what? 130th Street. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And so let's extend it to 130th Street. Yeah. 
Let's take the Metro line that's at Governor State University and extend it five miles to the South Suburban Airport site. And then let's finish building out the South Suburban Airport site. So you're saying, and then that the, you've got three major infrastructure projects all on the South Side. We should have elected uh, Delmarie Cobb mayor of the city of Chicago. So, uh, so you're saying what kind? So what I was asking specifically, what sorts of jobs would be generated, developed, created by a South Suburban Airport? So Ryan's plan, George Ryan's plan. So that's the other thing. So let me back up for one second before I answer that. So this is one of the few projects where you've had four governors, two Republicans and two Democrats, all support it, mm-hmm. starting with Jim Egger, George Ryan, Rod Blagojevich, and Pat Quinn. So they've all supported it. And uh, the kind of job, so Ryan's plan was called the inaugural plan, was one runway, five gates. So that alone will generate 15,000 direct and indirect jobs at every skill level. That's what's important here, every skill level. So hotels, restaurants, convention centers, um, sky caps, all these things that come with an airport, those are jobs that never stop. We see what's happening at Midway, we see what's happening at O'Hare. You will always have a job because jobs are constantly being created. Now if we align Olive Harvey College, which has an aviation department. It also has a truck driving uh, department. Align that with uh, the South Suburban Airport. Amazon has five fulfillment centers in the South Suburbs. Right now, Amazon drives everywhere it goes. It will not go to Midway or O'Hare because they say it takes too long to get there. They would rather just drive. They're about to uh, uh, buy 100 planes but they don't have a place they're gonna be yet. Be at the South Suburban Airport. So what, in your humble opinion, I think I know, I have my own answer, but I wanna hear your answer. What, in your humble opinion, drives the opposition for mayors like Daley and uh, Aram, and I guess Lori now, uh, to the South Suburban Airport? Um, control of the jobs. It's all about who's going to control the jobs, and that's all this boils down to. Political power. Right, it's political power. And the fact that the big business, the airlines and corporate Chicago are against it. Now, they don't know why they're against it other than that's what they've been told to think. And so they do what they're told, except for the airlines. So as as a person who talked to me who works for the airlines said, well, the airlines are adamant they're not going to spend any money. They're just not going to spend any money. And I said, you know what? The only people asking the airlines to spend money are the mayors of Chicago. Because we're not asking them to spend any money. This is a public-private partnership. We don't want them to spend any money. Don't come. United and American, don't come. Chicago, O'Hara is the only duopoly, one of the few duopolies in the country where American and and United control 80% of the gates. Virgin Airlines took them 10 years to get into Chicago because they couldn't get in because United and American control the gates. Because it's Chicago. Right. It's a captive market. Exactly. And we're cut off from the rest of the mm-hmm. state because United and American don't fly down state, yeah. except because they got rid of the least popular routes. When you say control the jobs, what do you mean by that? You said that the, the opposition from to the South Suburban uh, Airport for mayors is because they control the jobs at o- O'Hare and Midway. What do you mean by that? 
Well, they do control the jobs. I mean, when you look at the unions and you look at the concessions and and all of those things, that's and the and the janitors and all of that is controlled by the mayors or polit- politically connected people to the mayor. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the issue of money. Uh, O'Hare and this is what always I think of O'Hare is within the city boundaries. They extended the boundaries of the city of Chicago long before I was around here. That's how long ago they did it to uh, encircle O'Hare and make it part of Chicago. And that means they control all that money that flows through there. All the projects there are controlled by city hall. I think the concern, the fear is additionally is that uh, if the city allowed the state to build or have a, 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 a South Suburban Airport built, that money would not be controlled by the mayor of the city of Chicago because it would be outside the Chicago uh, border. And that's where the my, being myopic comes in. And that's when it becomes regressive versus progressive because it's not about the city of Chicago controlling all the money. It's about the money that would be coming into the city of Chicago because people who make money spend money. Mm -hmm. If people have jobs on the south side of Chicago, they spend money. Those houses that we were talking about earlier that are boarded up, people would be buying those houses. They would be buying big ticket items to put in those houses. They would be buying cars. And all that money would be coming to Chicago. And that's why you want to do it. Delmarie Cobb is a forceful advocate of the South Suburban Airport. I, I, I didn't even want to go on that tangent. We went on the tangent. I'm glad we did. Uh, it, it, it accentuates a point that I don't think should be lost. Uh, and that is, it is very much a tale of two cities in the city of Chicago when it comes to the emphasis of where development would go. I've been hearing, since I moved to the city in 1981, talk about extending that red line to 130th Street. Uh, It'll never get extended. They will put every single conceivable, I tell this to Dennis all the time, you're so sick of hearing it, every conceivable brown line improvement that they could think of Okay, but, but <laughs> they're going to rebuild the bottom line. Now they got this overpass at Belmont. They're going to do anything they, be, before they do that 130. Oh, Street. I agree. They say they can't get the money for the um, the red line, but they could get the money for the river walk. No, they, they could get the money. It's, it's not at the top of their list. They get development issues, which we've talked about many times when you've been on the show. Uh, and that is, I, I think you agree with me in this, that the, the planning and development policies of the last two mayors have essentially worked to drive uh, black people out of the city of Chicago. I think you and I agree no, on I that agree point. 100%. Um, I don't know if that's the intention. I can't read the minds of our mayors, but that's the effect of practical result it may as well be the intention yeah even if it's not meant to be the intention it's the intention so as far as i'm concerned it's the intention because racism doesn't make any sense so the fact that we're sitting up here and we try to make sense of it we can't make sense of it because it is based in racism because people who are lesser than don't deserve to have development they don't deserve to have nice things. Mm. They don't deserve to be comfortable. They don't deserve conveniences and amenities. They don't deserve good schools. They don't deserve a future. Uh, Del Marie, uh, let's switch gears, go talk about the new school board that uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, has appointed. 
Um, I recall in 2011, I'm going to go back in time, uh, you sponsored, along with a gentleman named Miguel DeValle, a, uh, it was a symposium mm-hmm. uh, on the South Side about where the state of progressive politics in the city of Chicago. This is right after Mayor Rahm was elected mayor when the voters of the city, uh, in their infinite wisdom, decided to go in that direction. Uh, and now that same Miguel DeValle is the president of the Chicago School Board. Not quite sure what to make of that. Uh, what do you make of it, Dale? So Miguel and I, uh, it was called, Will the Real Progressives Please Stand Up? Okay. And uh, I actually called Miguel uh, right after it was announced that he was going to be the interim uh, school board president to, to congratulate him, only because knowing who he is, I have to trust that while he's there, it's going to be a whole lot better than what it's been. And the fact that he is only going to be there through the interim, because I know that he believes in an elected school board. And that that's not to say that people don't change. But I've got to believe that at this point in his life, that the legacy you want to leave is the legacy that you have fought for for all these years. And I can't see him changing who he is simply because he got an appointment. So you think uh, you think. Do you, you don't you don't think that this means the end of an elected school board movement? I don't think it. I mean, and, and I don't think he thinks it either. I think he thinks he's a placeholder, and until everything gets in place to elect a school board. Yeah. I mean, I've got to also take the mayor at her word when she says she just doesn't think that twenty one people. She thinks that's unwieldy, and that she wants to see another bill that um, is more manageable. Yeah. But I also think that it's imperative for us to hold her feet to the fire and not let her walk away from the things that she ran on during the campaign. Because as I say, there's a reason why people voted for someone they don't know. And all I'm hearing from people after the election is, well, she just popped up out of nowhere. I didn't know her, I had never heard of her. Where did she come from? (laughs) So, okay, so everybody voted for her. You didn't know her, You don't where she came from, but you voted for her because you did want change. You decided this is our chance. Maybe we will see something different. Well, if that's the reason you voted for her, then you got to make it happen. Yeah. All right. Uh, it couldn't be a conversation with you without turning to national politics. Uh, and we're heading into the campaign season. I'm getting very excited. <laughs> I'm a junkie. You know that. Uh, I've said this many times, and it's so, it's so obvious. It's not an uh, outrageous claim. Whoever is going to be the next Democratic nominee for president cannot get there without winning black votes. You have to win black votes to be the nominee of the Democratic Party. We saw it undercut Bernie Sanders in 2016. We saw it undercut uh, Hillary Clinton in 20, 2008 when she ran against Barack Obama. So of all the candidates, there's 24 or 25 of them, though, Marie, who do you think is the front runner uh, in, among black voters? I have no idea. I, I don't even know at this point. Um, I, I'm going to remind you of a conversation that you and I had right after the 2016 race when you said, Delmarie, who is, who's going to run? I mean, who's going to run? <laughs> and I said, yeah. don't worry about it, Ben. Whoever's going to run, they know who they are. Yeah. We may not know who they are, but they know who they are. And little did we know. 
20 people, 24, yeah, 24 people, 25, right, right. I don't know. exactly would know who they are. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's really at this point, people are trying to figure out a way to elevate themselves above the clutter and to define themselves. And, and, um, you know, for the most part, these are not people who, I mean, we knew Hillary, we, you know, the, I mean, so there were people who you knew, uh, because they've just been out here so long in the public domain, uh, and the majority of these people have not. And so this really going to be a case of them uh, trying to define themselves. And I, th- I guess when the debates start, that's when we'll start seeing, you know, people edge out other mm-hmm. people. I mean, we're seeing a little bit of that now because com- campaigns uh, that they thought were going to be, you know, exciting uh suddenly are not as exciting oh yeah and so people are sort of falling by the wayside but they're hanging on they're hanging on i gotta tell you this is a a favorite theme of mine there's this i don't know how new this is but i call it the barack obama phenomenon uh where you allow a narrative to to propel your campaign uh, as opposed to an actual legacy or uh positions so Bernie Sanders, like him or not, has a legacy. He has a record that he can run on, and he has been who he is since the 1970s. And he has policies. You might not like them, but they're there. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren, same thing, mm-hmm. all right? But you got these, uh, <laughs> Beto O'Rourke in uh, Texas, and uh, Mayor Pete in South Bend, they're, they're creating narratives. They, they, they studied the Barack Obama campaign, and they go, it's, you, you, know, you sort of articulate uh, something that sounds good, and then you just propel that forward. You get what I'm saying? Uh, and well, that becomes. I like mean, th- that's what our marriage race was. It was the same thing. Go a little this, deeper no, in that one. I'm going to follow that this analogy. Was the out. Same, same. It was the Obama playbook. Yeah. People, Explain you it know, I mean, we we just said people didn't know who Lori Lightfoot was, and when you don't know who someone is. As, as Barack Obama said, and I quoted it all the time, I'm a blank slate. People project onto me who they want. That's what he said in his book. And so when you're a blank slate, you have a better chance of creating a narrative than if you don't, yeah. if you're not. And, and, and what helped was for Barack Obama is our turn. So if you're black, it's our turn. If you're young, it's our turn. If you're Democrat, it's our turn. You know, if you're Asian, it's our turn. Uh, and turn the page. I'm young. Turn the page from these old people, the Bush, Bush, Clinton, Clinton. Yeah. You know, so that's what that was. This, ca- this time in the city of Chicago, it was corruption. Yeah. Ed Burke. The people who've been around a long time, they're part of this, the machine. They're part of the corrupt system. We got to turn the page. We got to start new. We got to bring in the light. It's hope and change. That's pretty good. I got to give you credit for that one. I may steal that and write a column about it. I may have to give you credit <laughs> on the column. I don't know. It'll, uh, whether I give you credit or not, just, uh, but you're absolutely, I think you're, there's a lot of truth to what you just said. Uh, and, uh, 
Uh, Maria, I cannot let you leave, but without selling folks a little bit about uh, Ida's legacy, is there any, are there any updates you want to make? Any programs you have coming up? So we do have our summer program coming up. We don't have a date yet. It's called Legacy and Libations. That's our little summer mixer where we all get together and... Legacy and Libations? <laughs> right. Okay. And have a good time. Yeah. And at, at the racetrack? Right? No. no. Okay, you got to keep that one from the track. <laughs> right, right. And so where people can get together and, and the whole idea of Ida's legacy is really to make politics accessible. Uh, last year when we had it, we brought in Lauren Underwood. A lot of people said, you know, they had no idea who she was. Uh, I had people coming up to me afterwards congratulating me for Lauren's uh, campaign. I'm like, I didn't do anything for Lauren's campaign, but you brought her to the South Side. And we wouldn't have known who she was. And so that's what we want Ida's legacy to be. We want to make it politics accessible. I don't believe that these people are, you know, walk on water. I believe they should be elected representatives of us, and they're people who we put our trust in, and so they have an obligation to be our voice, and that's what I want to do with Ida's Legacy is sort of break down us holding these people and putting them on a pedestal, but understanding that we've got to know the issues and we've got to align the candidate with our issues. And when is the legacy? We don't have a day for okay. it yet, but it's, it's, it's coming up. It'll be in the summer. So if you go to our website, which is www.idaslegacy.com, uh, then you can always keep track of it. And also we have a Facebook page as well. And so we keep a lot of, put a lot of articles on the Facebook page of interest to both uh, progressive and to African-Americans. All right, very good. And sometimes African-Americans are progressives. Right. <laughs> uh, we'll have that conversation going forward, I'm sure, the difference between uh, white progressives and black progressives. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Delmarie. I appreciate you coming in. You're and welcome. look forward to talking to you next time, all right? Thank you. All right, that's our bonus show for today, everybody. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.